This episode of Bend the Knee is brought to you by Lord Jason of House Ross, Lady Amanda of House Richardson, Lord Adam, the young bull of House Parker, Sir Peter of House Whittingham, the ghost of Harrenhal, Lord Thanos of the Long Isle, the mother of cats, Sir Joshua of House Ross, Lady Kendall of House Taylor, Lady Liz of House Hendricks, Lord Hunter the Foulmouth, Captain of the Guard, Sir Dustin the Rooster Knight, Captain of the Guard, Sir Ron of House Golson, Captain of the Guard, Lady Amanda, Captain of the Guard. Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Ezra the Watchful. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we're into chapter 60, John 8 of A Game of Thrones. And in the Maester's study, we will be discussing a few Valyrian steel swords. Yes. Woo. Sir Ezra, you and I have been recording, I don't know... I think we're after this episode, which, by the way, uh, spoiler alert, it's probably going to be rather lengthy because yeah. uh, Sir Ezra and I are really fired up and there's a lot to cover. Right. Uh, we recorded about five hours worth of content yesterday, I think. Yeah, we did. <laughs> it was insane. It was insane. It was yeah, great. it was awesome. We, we, we really got rolling and we started thinking about uh, just the roadmap to the end of the books and that can talk mm. about rabbit holes, man. Jeez. So, yeah. So we recorded Raven's Nest, which was a ton of fun. We had a lot of people on. Uh, we recorded a few Patreon episodes. And, uh, yeah, just coming in today with uh, John Six. and be a lot of talk about uh, Longclaw, some other Valyrian steel swords, uh, Ravens, yeah. Crows, yeah. Maester Aemon. There's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot. Yes, it's fantastic. I've, I've been going absolutely crazy after that uh, Patreon episode that we did. I've, I've been in the Facebook group. You probably, If you get in there, you'll see up, upwards of, like, uh, right now, I think I'm up to 12 or 13 posts about crows, and then uh, as I'm posting about crows, Sir Matt finds quotes about ravens, and I'm like, "Oh God, what do I <laughs> like? Oh no!" So I've just been been going crazy, and I thought it would I thought it would end after we did the Patreon episode, but it just keeps getting better. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. All right, well, uh, let's head over to Small Council, Sir Ezra. How you doing, man? Uh, doing good. I mean, getting a lot done. We've been productive. Uh, I finally got things set up here. Like I, I feel when you, you're actually going to make it out, I think this coming week, right? You're going to be back here. Mm-hmm. You're, you're traveling east. Yeah, a week, a week, a week from today, you and I are probably having an archery contest. So, yeah, Lord, that's going to be god. Get ready awful. for that? <laughs> I have done zero training, zero training. So, as as have I. Oh um, man, there's all, we also have to have a drinking contest and. Um, I have done zero. I have done zero training for that. I say we combine the two. Oh my god! Could you imagine, dude? Like, I mean, do you think that's a good idea? One of or... us will be searching for a new co-host because, yeah, we'll be. That's like, what? <laughs> what if we make the archery contest? So, what if it's a drinking contest and an archery contest? But, um, we do it like you know, they like you fire at the apple on top of my head. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be really show off our skills, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Jeez. That'd be insane. That would be insane. I, I'm actually a little bit nervous for that. Aren't we're the archery, the drinking, uh eventually we've got axe throwing to do too, so 
Good mm-hmm. lord, it's gonna be. Yeah, we're close to the axe throwing on Patreon. We're um, we're like nine nine people away from uh, having to do an axe throwing contest. But I think that'll be a little bit easier because there's like bars you can go to and stuff now and do it. So, right, yeah, this this archery thing would just like be. To, it's not like we need to go get equipment. Yeah, we'll, we'll just be out in the open, just you know, firing off arrows, you know, up into the air. And where's it gonna land? Where's it gonna land? I don't know. Right. Terrible idea. <laughs> I don't know. Try and catch it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's like jarts, you know, like lawn darts. Yeah, you throw it up. Okay, try and catch it. Yeah, Matt's like, go long, go long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pull Ramsey on oh, me. Oh, boy. Oh. <laughs> Gee, many. Yeah, except I, I know how to zigzag, unlike Rick. And oh, so, wow. Uh, ooh, Terrible. Uh, all right. Well, um, yeah, I'll be heading back out to Ohio here uh, this coming week. I fly on the third, get in the fourth. Um, I know you and I are going to binge watch Stranger Things, and we're going to be hammering out and a ton of content. Yes, the business trip. So yes, it is. Yeah, hammering out some content, um, getting caught up in things. I think it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to it. And you're how many how many days are you out here for? A couple days. Mm, I, yeah, th- I'll be there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Monday. I fly back Tuesday. So okay, cool. Dang, imagine how much yeah. content we can produce. You know. And it's gonna be a lot. That's it's gonna be a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so all right. Well, um, should we just dive in? Should we just head right to the Maester study? Yeah, I think we should. And this is huge. This is a kind of like the first half of it, it does discuss a lot of the history around Valyrian steel swords. The second half is more about a a Maester study of ravens, which makes sense because. Uh, they, you know, work with the Ravens, send them to and from, you know, castles and keeps and what have you. So, yeah, but the first part, guys, is, is pretty intense. And I wasn't as hyped until I started doing a little bit more research. And what's been nice about since the show is over, we've had more time to go do the research and things that we had been planning on doing for a while we're now able to do. So this is a deep dive into Blackfire and its whereabouts. So... Mm-hmm. And it fits in with this chapter, <clears throat> yeah, perfectly. So, yeah, because there's a uh, so th- this episode's going to be slightly different. Normally on the main show, we do, um, you know, we'll, we kind of summarize the chapter, and then we'll usually conquer somebody's raven. This chapter, however, we have a lot of theories. This is normally stuff we kind of do on Patreon. That's kind of our Green Dream series where we do like these big extended theories, but so much of it. It just has to do with with some of the backstory of one of the swords we'll see today, Longclaw. There's an enormous theory out there that Longclaw is actually this old um, sword, another Valyrian sword called Blackfire, which is Aegon, the Conqueror's sword. And a lot of people believe that it's that or possibly Dark Sister, which is the, another one. And so uh, we're kind of actually going to start with two of these kind of bigger theories get to the chapter because it's so much of it's going to be blended and that's what we're going to be talking about. So this is kind of uh, going to be a little, little different today, but it's also kind of a preview, kind of what we do on Patreon. So if you think you want to check that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So sir, as I say, we just dive right in, man. Okay. All right. So let's go over real quickly. Just black fire. It's this fabled um, hand and a half long sword. Now that's the piece that mm-hmm. I, I didn't. We're gonna stop right there. It's a hand and a half long sword. It's a Valyrian steel sword, once wielded by Aegon the Conqueror. 
So the description of it being a hand and a half fits in with the description of Longclaw, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And they call that a, a bastard sword, right? It's not a full two-handed long mm-hmm. sword. It's a hand and a half right. long sword. Right. I always thought Blackfire was a... Before we started doing this research, I was like, oh, yeah, it's a two-handed you know, sword, or maybe it's just a regular... I don't know. I, a one-handed sword. I didn't really pay much attention to it, but that's the detail that George puts in his books. And so, yeah, we've got a hand and a half long sword. Right. It's Larry a sword that you... Would, yeah. So, like, a great sword, <clears throat> which is, like, what Arthur Dane mm-hmm. uses, like, Dawn. And in the show, we see him wielding two in that in that battle, because they just want to show you that he's epic, and they don't even ever talk about Dawn or anything sure. like that. But, um, like, a, a great sword, you know, like, that's something you're going to use with, with two hands. Right. And then that, that that's why they make the mountain seem super cool because he's so big he can hold two great swords because he's just so large. You know, it's something that normally somebody would hold with two yes. hands. Um right. And so uh but a, a like a bastard sword is a sword that you would typically you you could go sword and shield if you wanted. Uh yeah, exactly. Yes. And and so yeah, I mean, it's just it was interesting to me because I didn't expect that description to be the same as as Longclaw because I've heard people talk about it. And I'm like, ah, I don't really know uh, what I thought about that. I thought maybe Dark Sister because I was always thinking, well, yeah, Blood Raven comes north, and we knew that he had Dark Sister, and I, I could see him carrying that sword or being allowed to take that sword with him to the north, if you will. Right. But uh, but yeah, but he doesn't. I mean, he's. He uh, well, maybe he does. We don't know. I mean, this is all where we're kind of speculating and, and, and theorizing a little bit, and we have to go back to kind of like the Blackfire Rebellion. So that was Aegon the Conqueror's sword, Blackfire, and it's passed down. We could go over all the different people who wield it. We're going to skip all of that, and uh, we're, we're going to get to the point where it is passed down to Daemon uh, Targaryen, who's legitimized, who was a bastard um, of Aegon the Fourth. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead yep. of going to his son, Darren, it goes to Damon, And it just causes a lot of controversy. The sword that should have been passed down to his true-born son, and it's, it's the king's sword, right? It's, it's the king's sword. Mm-hmm. So there's a, whole other, there's a whole other thing, right? It goes to the rightful king. And that's another reason why people have said, well, John gets a sword. He gets a sword that is a hand-and-a-half long sword, and it comes from the from from Jor Mormont, which we're going to get into later as to how did he get that? How did how does Bear Island have this sword? And why in the why in the world would it come over to? I don't buy it. First of all, I just don't believe. I, I think it's a lie. I think I think a lot of what happens uh, in this chapter with the story of Longclaw is is not true. It would it would stay on Bear Island if it were. Uh, up to me because he's uh, he's at the Night's Watch or whatever. What are they? What's, what's the Night's Watch going to do? Return the sword later? Um, but anyways, so the Blackfire Rebellion, right? It's it's sort of uh, Damon. Um, he fights against his brother, and you've got even bastard brothers. We know Bittersteel is is famous. We know Blood Raven is famous. Those are two uh, half brothers. They were bastards who were le- legitimized. They were great bastards because they came from noble houses. And they end up fighting on the red grass field. There's this whole, you know, big Blackfire rebellion. Well, uh, Damon actually he wins a battle with it. He wins. Uh, he, he beats. I forget who it is. 
uh, Corbray, is that his name? Gwaine? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he fought yep. with him. And but then once he is struck down or once he once he falls, his son for a short time picks picks it up. Uh, you know, Blood Raven is the one who's kind of um, you know is, is defeats Damon, if you will. And and right there is where the mystery sort of happens. It's sort of like where does that sword go from the red grass field, right, Sir Matt? So what are you what are your thoughts on on where that sword goes? Wh- whose hand is it in? Well, we're led, you know. We're kind of led to believe that ultimately it somehow ends up with Bittersteel, Agor Rivers, who yep. is another one of um, Aegon the Fourth's bastards. But and so a lot of people believe that oh, young Griff is going to be coming over with that sword, and in the the Sworn Sword, the second of the Duncan Egg series, or the second book in A Night of Seven Kingdoms, when they're talking to Eustace Osgray about why he supported the Blackfires mm-hmm. is because he said anybody could see that Damon Blackfire was the man who was worthy of being king, not Darren, who becomes Darren, you know, Darren the second. Yeah. Because Damon had the sword and he was a warrior. And because he had the sword, he they felt like he was the rightful king. And so that's why that's going to be an argument that I think people who think that it's with young Griff are going to say is like, oh, no, young Griff has the sword or they're in the in the book. They could make that argument. Oh, he is a Targaryen and he has the sword, uh-huh. but he could still be a fault. He could be a Blackfire. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll still wait to see what happens, what happens there. But I the more I think about it, the more I, I'm thinking, no, uh, there's a lot of evidence in this chapter that does support this long claw is Blackfire theory. Yeah. You know, one thing that's interesting about Bitter Steel and what he does, there are there's the first Blackfire Rebellion, then there's the second, and it's very much made it's made known to us that that uh Damon, the second uh Blackfire, who shows up and tries to um you know it's actually a rebellion that stopped before it ever even starts. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the sword. Bittersteel doesn't give him the sword, and they try to make excuses as to, as to maybe why that happened. He's more of a minstrel. Uh, he's more poetic. He's he's not not the warrior type uh, that that his father was, and so maybe that's why Bittersteel is withholding the sword. But even in a world of ice and fire, when you get into the other Blackfire rebellions, uh, Blackfire is never brought up. Bittersteel doesn't. Where's the sword? Why is it not thrust in, into the hands of some of these other? Why isn't it mentioned? It's just not. Um, so there's that. Now, the one thing um, that is said, so let me, let me go over a couple things here that I think are interesting. Sir Eustace, you brought him up in the Sworn Sword, mentions that uh, um, young Aemon, here we go, i got a quote, young Aemon took up Blackfire when the blade slipped from his dying father's fingers. This is the first Blackfire rebellion. So Bloodraven slew him too, the younger of the twins. If Bloodraven sway, so like slays the guy who literally just picked up his father's sword. He 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 kills him right there, and and it says, and thus perished the black dragon and his sons. And this is someone, Sir Eustace, who said, like it was there, had a first person kind of account of what was happening. He fought on the side of the Blackfires. Well, that sword is laying at, at Blood Raven's feet. He's just killed Damon's right. son. Why wouldn't <clears throat> he take that sword? Well, he knows the importance of it. You're not you're not going to let Blackfire, the king's sword, just sit there on the red grass field and not pick it up. Now, right. The only thing that goes counter to that is in a world of ice and fire. 
um, we have a quote here. So, quote, this this was followed by Bittersteel's mad charge with Blackfire in his hand as he attempted to rally Damon's forces, meeting with Bloodraven in the midst of the charge. A mighty duel ensued, which left Bloodraven blinded in one eye and sent Bittersteel fleeing. Now, here's the thing. I have two, two thoughts on that. Either the maester... It's things that get passed down, and we've always talked about point of view and the perspective is that the maester uh, was... Because my question is, from Sir Eustace's point of view, how does he pick up... How does Bittersteel get the sword when Bloodraven is the one who kind of... with It's, it's with arrows. I mean, he, sh- he shoots him down, so maybe they're... they're um, they're they're far away and they don't pick the sword up. Maybe it's not laying right at his feet, right, Sir Matt? I mean, maybe it's Bitter still had a chance to mm-hmm. to mount this charge, picks it up, but eventually he does bring the sword face to face, regardless whether it's through Damon's um, younger son um, or if it's through Bittersteel and his mad charge, Blackfire eventually gets into a hand-to-hand combat with Blood Raven, and Bittersteel is sent fleeing away. It wouldn't surprise me if right there that that's another opportunity where Bloodraven could have had the sword. He could have knocked it out of his, out of his hands, you know, the chaos of battle, and he defeats him and picks it up, and, and, and he keeps it and, do, and hides it and keeps it secret, doesn't tell anyone about it. But then Bittersteel, maybe there's an exchanging of swords at some point. Who knows? I don't know. But I, I feel like Bittersteel leaves there empty-handed. Otherwise, he would have sent the sword back into the other Blackfire rebellions. Right. I mean, I feel like that's something right. he would have done. Yeah. So and, and as you say, young Griff supporters, you know, to make his claim more legit, Blackfire will land in his hand. That's what they're going to say is that the Golden Company has it because Bittersteel, when he goes to Essos, he creates the Golden Company and, you know, is able to they're kind of they're there. It's it's an easy call when when Aegon. Uh, young Griff shows up and he he wants to request that the Golden Company fight for him. It's a no-brainer. They know how they were formed. They knew the history to their company, and they may have a Valyrian steel sword, and it may be proclaimed as Blackfire, uh, but I don't know that right. it will be. Well, the other th- well, keep in mind. So we're gonna we're speci- today we're gonna be going more with the kind of is long called Blackfire theory, but we do know that Brendan Rivers also wielded the other. So there's two. Valyrian steel yep. swords. There's Blackfire and Dark Sister, and we know for a fact uh, that um, Blood Raven had Dark Sister and took it with him to the Wall. Gur has confirmed that in a, in like in a in a, in a when he was asked a okay. question. So there is obviously the possibility that it is also Dark Sister, but. A lot of uh, there's a uh, if you look at a lot of other surrounding theories, it seems almost like he probably took Dark Sister with him to the cave. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So then Longclaw couldn't just be Dark Sister, which some people think it's it's more likely that it's that. Yeah. So there's that right. one as well. And, and there are some people who argue that, like, I know that you've said, you know, Gurr says that it's there. Before that came out, people were arguing, would you let someone like 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 Bloodraven take a Valyrian steel sword to um, to the wall? And I think, yeah, actually, I don't know that you would, or he, would, he could conceal mm-hmm. it in some way. He had all of his... Uh, Raven's teeth, right? They went with him. Uh, his archers, right? His renowned archers. They actually decided. Yep. They volunteered to go with him, which is nuts. Why? Why would? Why would all of those men decide to follow him uh, to the wall? It's just. It's that's that's a whole other thing of, of of itself. 
But uh, yeah, okay. So, anyways, there, there's a tidbit uh, there. So now, now here's some really cool information. We're gonna we're kind of jumping into mid chapter here, going back and forth between Maester's study and the chapter. But in this chapter, Jor kind of says he indicates that this Valyrian steel sword has been in uh, their possession. It says, "quote This is a Valyrian steel. This is Valyrian steel, my lord." He said wonderingly. His father had let him handle ice enough times uh, that he knew. Uh, He knew the look, he knew the feel. It is, the old bear told him. It was my father's sword and his father's before him. The Mormons have carried it for five centuries. I wielded it in my day and passed it on to my son when I took the black. Now, so that sword is five, it's been in their family for 500 years. And what's interesting is, is that House Stark, which is, a way bigger deal, a much bigger, uh, you know, they, they are the, the, the regents. They were the kings of the north, right? Uh, Catelyn said, uh, she, she mentions here in A Game of Thrones, Catelyn one had no love for swords, but she could not deny that ice had its own beauty. It had been forged in Valyria before the doom had come to the old freehold. When the ironsmiths had worked their metal with spells as well as hammers, 400 years old it was, and as sharp as the day it was forged. So the sword that that the Mormonts say they have is older than ice, and they've had it longer than the Starks. That that I think is curious, Sir Matt. What do you think? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's very curious. Yeah, it just it, because the the I mean the Mormonts are kind of a I mean look look at the amount of men that they could muster. You know, in the show, it's kind of a funny thing that they don't have very many. Men descend, and they're kind of this poor house. They have bare isle, but that was given to them by the Starks. They had nothing. And, you know, so they go from having nothing to what they've had this sword for 500 years. That number just doesn't match. It just doesn't make make sense. It's just there's mm-hmm. no way they would have it longer. It's no way that House Mormont has a sword like this, and House Lannister, you know, although they did have a sword, you know, they always that's been always their thing. They're trying to get a sword. They're hard to come by. Right, they're very hard to come by, and it's 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 a great thing to have a Valyrian steel sword in your in your family. So it just doesn't make sense. And the other thing that doesn't make sense to me is that sword. I feel like when you go to, I know that he says that the story is he left it with for his son for Jorah Mormont, and then he dishonored it, and so he, at least he left the sword. And then you know, like his his sister um, and their family sent the sword back to Jorah. I don't buy that. Why? Why would you need to send it to him? Why not keep it for the person next in line? That's a house sword that should stay there. What are they going to do when Mormont dies? House, um, you know, when Jor Mormont dies, House Mormont is going to come up to Castle Black and say, hey, we want the sword back. I just, maybe he makes mm-hmm. some, some request to say, yeah, send this back to, to my house. He had, according to him, he had put it away and had forgotten about it until the fire happens and John saves him in the fire. So, None of that really makes sense, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm 100%. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. So, do you have any more thoughts on on, on that? I mean, is that uh, sort of the, like, what other proof do you have, I guess, or what are, what are your other thoughts that would uh, kind of tie uh, Blackfire to Longclaw? Well, you know, the other thing you got, the other thing we got to you got to think about is surely someone in you know you could make the argument that. And I think people have have online made the argument that 
Damon Blackfire the second wasn't worthy of the sword because he's not really a fighter, right? Uh, we see him lose in the Mystery Night relatively easily. Like and then, then he falls in the mud. They start calling him the Brown Dragon. Yep. And so he's just not really a warrior. So you could make the argument that Agor Rivers, Bittersteel, is like, well, I'm not giving you the sword because you're not worthy of it. But there are clearly people we see that come after, like Melee's the Monstrous. Yeah. Who, you know, is he? The, the description we get of him is that he's a really good warrior and it takes Barristan and Selmy to kill him. So you would imagine that somebody like that would 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 be the person you put your faith in and you give him the sword. Yeah, you would think so. And I think that the other thing, too, is when Agor Rivers doesn't come over in the second rebellion, it's sort of like, why? Why isn't he there helping? Is this a, a daemon um, who's who's off doing his own thing? Is he just trying to secretly mm-hmm. gather forces there and then B- Bittersteel is going to follow him later? It didn't seem to have his backing. And that's. That seemed to be what was more important, is that Bittersteel uh, back you and uh, validate your claim to the throne. So, yeah, I mean, that's 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 very interesting. And I think that's that's the piece. Maybe we will get more in the Dunkin' Egg series. Like, maybe there will be more mentions of Blackfire and what's going on with it, unless it's supposed to be a super big secret. Uh, but if we don't ever see it reappear with Bittersteel, then one would have to assume that someone from that battle at the Redgrass Field, has it. Because it was well known that Damon took it into battle. His son picked it up. He was slew. He was, he was slew. Um, and then Bittersteel fights, you know, well, Bloodraven with it. Well, and think and think about, yeah, and then, you know, he comes back over. And B- Bittersteel comes back over during the third Blackfire Rebellion and then is captured. Yep. Yeah. He was captured. So yeah. you, you, you would imagine that he would probably be using, he would probably be using the sword. Yeah, you would th- you would think unless he unless he stashed it. I mean, it's just not a sword you leave laying around. You know what I mean? You'd have to really leave it in good hands. I don't. We don't even really know right, cause where they're because he goes he goes he goes back over, over to Essos and then comes back to Westeros to fight in the third Blackfire Rebellion where he's captured. And do you think I don't I don't see him just being like, well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go fight this war that I believe we're gonna take over the Seven Kingdoms and leave this ancestral mm-hmm. sword of my house here yeah and so during that third what is is it Hagon Blackfire that's who he's supporting right um yep yeah he's the fourth son of Damon uh Blackfire was the heir to his older brother Damon the second and uh yeah it looks like there's no let's see he was slain treacherously and I can't imagine I can't I can't imagine that when he was when he gets released um because you know he gets he gets captured and then you know they want to, they they are they're going to send him to the wall. Yep. Right. And I can't imagine they would send him to the wall with a Valyrian steel sword. Well, yeah, that's the other thing that people mentioned with Bloodraven, though, too, is that people can't imagine that they would send him him to the wall um, with a Valyrian steel sword. Yeah, but the difference is the the only the only difference is that it's Egg who sends Bloodraven to the wall because he. You know what he what he does is is kind of questionable, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he kills uh, Aenys Blackfire when Aenys Blackfire comes over because he wants to put an end to the Blackfires and and you know destroy any chance they have of you know destroy any chance they have of of making any claim to the throne. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to as opposed to uh, you know Bittersteel, who is in com- who is in complete open rebellion against. 
the the throne and this isn't his first time doing yeah i agree with you i'm just saying most people's counter is that you know why would you let them you know go up there with with a sword well he's got an escort he's got dunk escorting him he's got aemon going up there and he's got all of his his archers going up there as well with with blood raven so that definitely is is different and george has confirmed that he did take it up there and one could hide the sword too um but yeah if they've captured agor I mean, Bloodraven beat him, you know, the first time, and then they capture Aegor during the Third Rebellion. There's no sword. Hagon doesn't have the sword, as far as we know. It even says that he surrendered his sword, but then still was killed. And it's like, okay, what's, you know, what's what's up with that? I mean, it's, it's just, why is the sword never mentioned? So, anyways, now, uh, yeah, so if the Golden Company, I mean, unless he left it with the Golden Company, that's the thing, which is just far-fetched, right? That's sort of our thing, is it just doesn't seem like he would... He would do that. You'd put it back in the hands of the rightful heir. That's just what you do. So, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's really now. You, so I back to one of the things I was mentioning was just that like the evolution of his writing. If you go back and look at the times at which he wrote the Mystery Night and he wrote some of this stuff concerning the Blackfire Rebellion and he had those thoughts. It's like, is he creating those stories to help? influence to, to make things work in a song of ice and fire or is it vice versa you know what i mean like mm-hmm. th- that's what i wondered when when Blackfire isn't mentioned we don't really quite know much about it until later on then you start to theorize like oh this this sword long claw is turning into be turning out to be a much more important sword than we realized and it's one of those things that will help identify john as 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 a, as a targaryen as a true you know targaryen and heir to the throne right so mm-hmm yeah. So, and that was that was sort of um, some of your points too. Were, were just that like the irony in in the with with all of the stuff that happens in the Blackfire rebellions from Bittersteel on down, they didn't have the sword. So, you know, if Aegon, um, Aegon Targaryen or Young Griff shows up and he doesn't have the sword, but John does. You know, Jon Snow has the sword. It's right. just sort of one of those. And he's John's supposed to be a bastard, and Danny's being warned to. Um, you know, beware the false dragon. Well, which one of them's false, right? You really have a conundrum there. You've mm-hmm. got young Griff, uh, who doesn't have a sword and could be the mummer's dragon, or it could be John, who is a bastard. We know he's from House, you know, Stark. It just it, there's a lot for for her to kind of have to figure out concerning that that false dragon, right? So. Well, I mean, think about it like this: if you have if you have as essentially three people, let's say you have young Griff. Daenerys and John all pressing, you know, John isn't really pressing as we've seen in the show, but, um, you know, there, John has a claim to the throne. Yeah. If he has Blackfire, that's kind of his bargaining chip because Danny, we know, is a, is a true Targaryen and she also has dragons. And then that kind of leaves young Griff out of the equation, I guess. Right. He has to have something that would help validate. He's got John Connington, right? I mean, he's got. Uh, mm-hmm. some of these folks around him. Rhaegar's who can, best friend. Yeah, who, who can tell that story. That's really... But he has the weaker evidence, I guess, if you will. So... Right. Um, yeah, that's 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 pretty... It's just pretty neat. You know, it's it's neat to think about how that sword can be such a big deal. And I just, again... Um, and I want to give full credit to the uh, Reddit user there because I, I love the part, the connection between House Stark and House Mormont. Um, so that's JTD1776... Um, is the one is the guy. That was one of his first posts too. He typed this up um, some four years ago, 
and the idea between like the hundred year difference in this in ice and long claw is what throws me. That's the part that really throws me. I'm like, wow, that just doesn't make sense uh, at all. That could be perspective. You yeah. know, it could just it could be Jor Mormont saying, I don't know, five hundred years and Cat. Yeah. I feel I I trust I trust Cat a little bit more with the knowledge of mm-hmm. ice and and four hundred years than I trust Jor Mormont in five hundred years. Yeah, yeah. And now it's not that like I wouldn't argue. You know, Blackfire could be five hundred years old. I don't know how old it is. It's this Targaryen sword that's been passed down. It's the one that. That a- that um, Aegon the Conqueror had, so you know it was probably forged in Valyria, all that good stuff, but uh, it just didn't belong to House Mormont. You know what I mean? It just wasn't. Uh, I'm sorry, Longclaw. I, I think is 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 very different. You know, the other thing that's interesting about that story too is that the the handle, you know, right, the the pummel and everything was was burned off. There was some wood to it. There was some other workings that it, you know um, that Jor remade the sword. Which we'll get into later, right? And that's that's all very interesting, and in that he he changes sort of the hilt, if you will. Right. Yeah. And so the so the nature of the chor- sword changes. Yeah. Yes. Right. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hey, speaking of Jor Mormont, I think we have another kind of uh, longer thing we want to cover here about his raven, Sir Ezra. Yeah, we do. And so I've been really interested in Mormont's raven. Um, this is a Reddit post from Dan uh, NY Track. Dan New York track, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this was one yeah. that's been quoted in different articles. And so full credit to him. It's been uh, passed, passed around quite a bit, but there's some interesting stuff here. So, um, okay, here I'm just going to go ahead through and, and read this one. A post from yesterday was discussing Mormont's Raven. I stated that the Raven is actually being warged by Blood Raven. And this is something you've mentioned, Sir Matt. You know, we've talked about Longclaw yeah. before. We've talked about you know, Blood Raven um, influencing things through Mormont's Raven. I think what's neat is when you find people either in the Facebook group uh, or people have sent us theories as well, or you go to Reddit and you find something that kind of backs up what you and I have been thinking. That's that's the cool part is we're all kind of seeing the same thing here, and it's neat to uncover these clues. So anyways, um, I went to collect some quotes that might back this theory up, and I got a little out of control, so I decided to start a new post. I understand that these quotes can be interpreted in multiple ways, but this is the way that I read them. If we go ahead and assume R plus L equals J, which probably uh, is the most safe assumption we can make, then we can see why Blood Raven would lead John uh, through the Raven. We know Blood Raven is a staunch Targaryen loyalist. He protected the dynasty from threats on multiple occasions and even slew his own brother to do so. As the last Green Seer, it is quite possible that he is aware of John. Uh, John's Targaryen blood and therefore has a vested interest in John's fate. Also, we know that Bloodraven is vested in Bran's future. Additionally, the Raven can obviously mimic words it hears, but pay close attention to the key words it chooses to mimic. Furthermore, at times, the Raven says words that were not spoken at all. Now, that's interesting. When the Raven starts going off script and and brings up his Mm -hmm. own words, you're like, holy crap, what is that Raven saying? And as Jor, as Jor will say later in this chapter, it's nonsense. He kind of brushes it off, right? Uh, I am assuming that Bloodraven is determined to destroy the others. Keep these things in mind while reading through some of these quotes from the series and let me know what you think or if, there, if we can add any to this theory. So this is Bloodraven talking to Bran. I'm trying, the crow replied. Say, got any corn? Now, that kind of goes, so what's this one? The idea of Bloodraven... <laughs> Is is that Blood Raven? I don't know. I have a whole 
qualm about that. So you can go to Patreon and check out my issue with people saying that Blood Raven is the three-eyed crow that Bran is talking to. So that first one, not so sure I buy. Um, but there's a couple of these. Blood Raven is excited that Bran will live. Bran was going to live. My brother is going to live, he told Mormont. The Lord Commander shook his head, gathered up a fistful of corn, and whistled. The raven flew to his shoulder, crying, Live! Live! Bloodraven knew it was foolish to send Royce as a lead ranger. The Royce boy was, was green as summer grass, yet he insisted on the honor of his own command, saying it was due, it was due him as a knight. I did not wish to offend his lord father, so I yielded. I sent him out with two men I deemed as good as any in the watch. More fool I. Fool, the raven agreed. <laughs> so, yeah, he's, that's not a good idea. Uh, Tyrion glanced up. The bird peered down at him with those beady black eyes, ruffling its wings. Fool, it called again. Doubtless old Mormont would take it amiss if he throttled the creature. A pity. <laughs> uh, Bloodraven knows that fire kills white. So every time we say Bloodraven knows, we're assuming that Bloodraven is speaking through the, through the, the raven. Excuse me, I almost said crow. Uh, mm -hmm. John tried to shout, but his voice was gone. Staggering to his feet, he kicked the arm away and snatched the lamp from the old bear's fingers. The flames flickered and almost died. Burn, the raven called. Burn, burn, burn. Taunting the word further to John uh, can, uh, can be taken as suspicious. Um, oh, taunting the word fa father, excuse me. Uh, taunting the word father. So the bird says, um, Father, taunted the old raven, bobbing its head as it walked across Mormont's shoulders. Father. Uh, Blood raven would obviously be disgusted by Joffrey being on the throne. Uh, quote, We have white shadows in the woods, unquiet dead stalking our halls, and a boy sits the iron throne, he said in disgust. The raven laughed shrilly. And that's a quote. That's from the book. The raven laughed shrilly. Boy, 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 boy. Um, about Longclaw, which may be effective in battling the others. Uh, take it, echoed the ra uh, his raven, preening. Take it, take it. So that's about Longclaw, okay? Um, Blood Raven was the, um, the what? Of the, oh, Lord Commander. Yeah, Blood Raven was the Lord Commander of the Watch. He wants the Watch to remember its real purpose, protecting the realm against the others. Quote, Yet if the Night's Watch does not remember, who will? Quote, who will? Chimed the talkative raven. Who will? Uh, Blood Raven knew John considered abandoning his oath to the Watch. Uh, quote, no, the raven echoed from Mormont's shoulder. No. Uh, what's that about? So, and that's, that's no as in like, you know, you know, uh, K-N-O-W. Um, mm -hmm. Blood Raven most likely knows of the coming wars, the coming war, of the others, John chewed his lip. The raven flapped its wings at him. War, 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 it sang. Blood Raven is possibly trying to make John question why his father wanted him there, or, um, you know, Blood Raven himself is questioning why. Quote, your Lord Father sent you to us, John. Um, why? Who can say? Why, why, why? The raven called. Blood Raven knows that Craster is a slave. Uh, of the others and knows Craster's women are pretty much slaves too. And this is interesting. This is actually pretty cool um, that the Raven calls them slaves. So the women looked at, looked at his uh, at thin lips. This is our place. Craster keeps us safe. Better to die free uh, than to live a slave. Slave, muttered the Raven. And he's, you know, it's like he's calling them a slave. Uh, Blood Raven again is reiterating that he knows of Craster's horrendous deeds. 
Quote, he gives his sons to the woods. A long silence then, yes, and yes, the raven muttered, strutting, yes, yes, yes. Now that's interesting. He didn't mimic anything there, right? So the raven is just confirming that, yes, he does give his son his sons to the woods. So what is that all about? Um, this is directly before the slaughter at the first, or I'm sorry, at the fist, at the fist of the first men. Uh, he says, die, screamed Mormont's raven, flapping its black wings. Die, die, die. Uh, maybe saying that to uh, the the others, perhaps. Um, after, Sam, yeah. after Samuel informed Mormont that he got the messages out um, at the fist, good on Mormont's shoulder, his own raven echoed, good, good. So, you know, saying that that's, that's a good thing, we're, we're good. Um, Blood Raven telling Sam to hurry up and flee Crasters. Quick, the Raven said. Quick, quick, quick. Now some of that he's echoing, um, but I'm going to come to I'm going to come to something here in a little bit that's going to I hope hopefully blow people's mind. Um, Blood Raven choosing John for Lord Commander. So the kettle was in the corner by um, it was this big big black uh, pot-bellied thing with two huge handles and a heavy lid. Uh, Maester Eamon said a word to Sam and Clytus, and they went and grabbed the handles. This is when they're choosing the new Lord Commander. A few of the brothers were already queuing up um, by the token barrels as Clytus took the lid off and almost dropped it on his foot. Uh, with a rancorous scream and a clap of wings, a huge raven burst out of the kettle. It flapped upward, seeking the rafters, perhaps, or a window to make an escape. But there were no rafters in the vault, nor windows either. The raven was trapped. Calling loudly, it circled the hall once twice, three times, and John heard Samuel shout, um, I know that bird. That's Lord Mormont's raven. The raven landed on the table nearest John. Snow, it called. It was an old bird, dirty and beraggled. Snow, it said again. Snow, snow, snow. It walked over to the end of the table, spread its wings again, and flew to John's shoulder. Almost, you know, indicating that we want John Snow to be the Lord Commander. Um, okay, so there's a couple more here, and then we're, then we're done. It's just sort of a... Um, Oh, Blood Raven, uh, possibly foreshadowing John's death. Death, said the Raven. It was one of the bird's favorite words. Death, um, dead, dead, dead. You know, there's there's evidence that that um, the Raven tries to warn John about some of the betrayal that will happen to him uh, at uh, at Castle Black. Uh, Blood Raven telling Sam to obey John's commands to become a maester. It could be theorized that Blood Raven knows Sam well has a role to play in doing such things because he says obey. Um, Blood Raven is constantly talking to John through the Raven. Now, some of this might sound tinfoil to people because, like, a lot of times, like, um, the Raven is either just mimicking what someone said, but some of these you'd have to go look, and he's not just mimicking. He's actually coming up with his own word, and it just comes out of the blue, and you almost get lulled into thinking, well, he probably was just repeating some, what somebody else said, but not necessarily. So there's so there's that. Um Okay, here we go. Last one. On multiple occasions, John awakens from a prophetic dream with the raven on his chest. It can be assumed that Blood Raven is influencing slash speaking to him through dreams. Uh, and uh, quote here, and um, and woke with a uh, raven pecking at his chest. Snow, the bird cried. John swatted at it. The raven shrieked in displeasure and flapped up to a bedpost to glare down um, balefully at him through the pre-dawn gloom. So, yeah. So there's that. When he's having those dreams, uh, that raven is right there. And then here we go. I just, I'm sorry, one more. Um, let's see. He rose and dressed in darkness as Mormont's raven muttered across the room, Corn, the bird said, and King, and Snow. Uh, John Snow, John Snow. 
That was queer. The bird had never said his full name before, as best John could recall. And so that's the, kind of the final, you know, um, point there, just that eventually we get we get from, you know, corn to king to John Snow. There are theories that the, that the raven is also, when it says corn three, three times um, when they're up at the fist of the first men, that he's warning them. It's like the three soundings of the horn warning the men that these are uh, others and that they are, you know, in danger, even though they kind of already know they're in danger. Uh, oftentimes people have theorized that the etymology between corn and cornet and horn are very similar. Uh, so there's theories out mm-hmm. there about that as well, which are, which are really cool. So, but yeah, there's, there's a lot now, one more thing and, and then I'll, then we'll kind of move away from this. Uh, something I found very interesting in a storm of swords, Samwell two. So this is just crazy. Uh, the bird says, um, so snow, the bird called snow, snow, wherever the raven went, Mormont soon followed. It doesn't say wherever Mormont went, the raven soon followed. It was like wherever the raven went, Mormont soon followed, as if the raven knows where Mormont's going to go. And it's just a little, it's one of those things that I think George weaves in there, um, just a subtle thing that, that the raven is leading Mormont. And that the raven is blood raven and is communicating with him in some way. Uh, even maybe it's more, it's more direct or more explicit than we realize, Sir Matt. But it's it's something that yeah that it's just from our perspective, from John's point of view. Maybe Mormont's having secret conversations, you know, with with this raven, you know, full on uh, conversations with him and getting confirmations, you know, like a yes no conversation with with the raven. I don't know, but. Pretty, pretty cool stuff, I think. So there's just a couple things, because in this chapter we, we want to discuss Longclaw. We've got um, the connection between Mormont's Raven and Blood Raven. Uh, just it's too much to, to, for us not to mention once, because it's gonna, it's gonna, we're going to have a lot of this conversation throughout the whole series. We've got years of this left to kind of talk about all these little you know, quotes and nuggets that we find in the chapters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge chapter. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of different theories. I have something else that we're going to get to that I think is total foreshadowing to the way the show ended. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, there's, there, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of foreshadowing and, and in the in this chapter. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I think that's it. I mean, it's again kind of a long, uh, different um, maestro's you know study, but. Uh, we have some of our own thoughts mixed in there with some stuff from, from Reddit and uh, just mm-hmm. th- thought it was worth discussing. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, let's head to the reread and we can actually get to get to this chapter. And we're going to be coming back to both the things that you discussed and the thing that I and what I, I kind of discussed here. But um, this week we are into John chapter eight. John is presented with the Valyrian steel longsword by Longclaw. Uh, by Lord Commander Jor Mormont, John attempts to refuse, but the commander insists. Later, John gets a message that uh, Maester Aemon wants to see him. The Maester knows that John is divided between his duty and his family loyalties, and explains uh, that he sympathizes. When John rejects his empathy, the old man reveals that he is Aemon Targaryen, son of King Maegar the uh, First. Last time we were with John was when they went above the wall to. Um, or no, excuse me. Uh, that's when they are attacked by the whites, and John saves Jorah Mormont with the help of Ghost, and they and they they, ki- they kill they kill one of the whites, and he saves Lord Commander. So in this chapter, he's getting he's getting the sword, 
and that's what's uh, the it's his present essentially for saving the yep. Lord Commander. So, um, all right. So, I always like to read about the first paragraph. Are you well, Snow? Lord Mormont asked, scowling. Well, the Raven squawked. Well, I am, my Lord. John lied loudly as if that could make it true and you mormont frowned a dead man tried to kill me how well could i be he scratched under his chin his shaggy gray beard had been singed in the fire and he'd hacked it off the pale stubble of his new whiskers made him look old um and grumpy you do not look well how is your hand healing john flexed uh, his bandaged fingers to show him so this next line right here is a line that a lot of people Use to say that John is not fireproof, right? Because we mm-hmm. talked about Danny possibly being fireproof. Yep. That's you know they 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 always come back to this. He had burned himself more badly than he knew, throwing the the flaming drapes, and his right hand was uh, swathed in silk halfway to the elbow. And at the time he'd felt nothing. The agony had come after his cracked red skin oozed fluid and fearsome blood blisters rose between his fingers big as roaches the macers say i'll have scars but otherwise the hand should be as good as it was before so because a lot of people have argued is john fireproof is he like danny is he fireproof um and there's a lot a lot of people go back and forth and say well it's dragon fire that they're mm-hmm. immune to but we see danny uh um, hot water and everything yep the hot water things like that as well so it is possible that Danny, because Danny is a true Targaryen. Her mom is a Targaryen. Her dad is a Targaryen. John is mm-hmm. not. John is ice and yep. fire. Right. Yeah, that's a good point because I think that's something. Even when we were talking about in the show, we get kind of carried away with the whole idea that oh, we could prove this, you know, through uh, dragon fire or something. But but yeah, you're right. He's he's ice and fire. So yeah, they kind of talk more about just uh, his his hands and and being getting back to his duties and making sure that. That uh, that that he's okay to kind of perform, and um, so again, all, a lot of those quotes that I read too about the Raven are in this chapter. The mocking of a father. Mm-hmm. He starts to think about his father a lot in this chapter, and I think mm-hmm. that's interesting. We have almost like a father figure right in front of him in Jor Mormont, and the Raven mocking him, taunting, and it says taunted the old Raven father, taunted, bobbing its head as it walked across Mormont's shoulder, father. Um, so he had hoped for some word of his father, um, and then later on he's he's thinking about the gift that Mormont or yeah that Mormont will give him, and it's like he's trying to remember that this is not my father, although it's a fatherly gesture, mm-hmm. and it was once his sons, uh, Jorah. It was it was his sons according to Mormont. It now would would come to him, but then there's also the whole bit that uh, Edard is not his father. If if we go off of R plus mm-hmm. I plus J, so. Yeah, there is the there is the one line I like, bef- but right before we get we get to some of that, um, grief and noise. Mormont grumbled. That's all they're good for, ravens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do, I like that line. And, and, and I think, um, yeah, grief and noise. I mean, grief. Uh, what's 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 with that? So so grief because he's getting grievous news, or is that just dismissing some of what this raven may say, or? What have you? Because Maester Aemon, there's just too much attention given to the Raven. You know, it's later on Maester Aemon gives right. a lot of attention to it being a special bird, and then Mormont's dismissing mm-hmm. what it's saying here. So it, it's definitely a Raven that's being, you know, skin changed into, or is is being influenced, or what have you. And it's it, later on we've talked about it a couple weeks ago in a Dance of Dragons that 
that's the first thing Bran realizes that when he's inside of another raven, that there are others in there as well, other children of the forest, past beings, uh, whose whose spirit or essence is still there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, then uh, he 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 he's telling him a little bit of news. He I I he tells him about Cerberus and Selmy, right? Uh, and how he was removed from the King's Guard, and that's where we get that line. Uh, the fools sent some watchmen to seize him, but he slew two of them and escaped. So, yeah. with no sword, he is still able to kill two people. So he clearly must have taken a sword from one of those guys and, and killed him. So yeah, because he's because he's a badass. Yeah, exactly. There's no stopping Sir Barristan mm-hmm. Selmy. So, uh, yeah, okay. So, and they were hoping the part the the reason they bring that up is that. He was so he was hoping that Sir Barristan is is someone who he had some hope in. The old bear felt like that's someone who would maybe listen, who was on the council uh, that that could help out. Now that he's no longer there, he thinks Pycelle is just sort of like not giving any attention to the ravens that Maester Aemon sent. You know, they're trying to get help. They're trying to warn people. They've taken the hand. Uh, we'll find out here in a little bit that they um, Alistair Thorne has been sent away, and he's actually. Uh, eventually going to be on a quest down to King's Landing to try to persuade people that we've got some serious crap going on up here. Okay, we've got this hand mm-hmm. uh, that's that's moving around and you know it's animated, if you will. So, um, okay, let's move on here a little bit. Uh, the with the, with some of the stuff with the Raven, and we get into the giving of the blade. So, the Raven. Let me just read some of this and. Oh, they tell us what they want, and it's little enough. He kind of says about King's Landing that they just they decide what to what to give and what not to give there. So now John uh, has realized that Rob has called the banners, and he realizes that that's not something that they want him to know. And I think again, a fatherly type of thing, a gesture here, either by Eamon uh, or by um, Mormont, Commander Mormont, that they don't want John to know that his brother has is, is rallying forces. If they can help it, because that's just another thing that tears at him and would would cause him maybe to want to leave the Night's Watch. And that's just not he can't do it. It means death if he he were to do it. So there's that. Um, Rob was marching and he was not. No matter how often John told himself that his place was here now with his new brothers on the wall, he still felt craven. He felt like he should be there. And uh, that's when the Raven, Craven Raven, um, you know, says corn. Corn, corn. Oh, be quiet. The old bear told him, uh, Snow, how soon uh, does Maester Eamon say you'll have the use of your hand? And he says soon, and he can get back to some of his, his activities. Um, mm. So this is when um, he pulls out this large sword, uh, black metal scabbard uh, banded with silver. Here, you'll be ready for this then. Uh, the raven flapped down and landed on the table, strutting towards the sword, head cocked curiously. John, you know, the, the, right there. So there's curiosity in this sword. What is this thing? And there's more to it. The, if the raven's interested in it, then we all should be interested in it. Uh, more than just it's a cool sword and it's Valyrian steel. John hesitated. He had no inkling of what this meant. My lord, the fire melted the silver off the pommel and burnt the cross guard and grip. Well, dry leather and old wood. Uh, what would you expect? The blade now. You'll need a fire a hundred times hotter to harm the blade. Uh, Mormont shoved the scabbard across the rough oak planks. Um, I had the rest made anew. Take it. And this is where the raven says, take it. Echoed the raven, you know, preening. Take it, take it. Uh, so that's important. 
And he does, right? So he, he's, he awkwardly takes it and realizes as he looks at it, Sir Matt, that it's, uh, it's Valyrian steel. It's got those ripples, mm-hmm. you know? It's been, mm-hmm. been forged. Uh, and he's familiar with Valyrian steel because of ice. And so this is where we were earlier drawing the comparison between ice and this sword and its age and where, it, where it's from. And these are Valyrian steel swords far up in the north. And that's curious because most of them are in the south. So... Yeah, um, yeah. So, so it uh, he he goes on. This is where he tells a story about how the um, how his son brought dishonor to House Mormont, and you know how he he has to pass the sword on, and that's sad. You know, it, it's 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 um it's interesting. It made me think. You know, when we watch in the show, and and Jorah Mormont gets Heartsbane, and sort of uses mm-hmm. it or whatever. And and we you and I have been doing the whole you know roadmap to how the books will end. And I think when you take this up and you think about if this sword is really not a Mormont sword and they really never had a Valyrian steel sword, then that gesture is, I guess, it it makes a little bit more sense why John wouldn't give it up, you know, or why uh, Jorah, if he comes full circle and is, is redeemed in some way, uh, why we don't give that sword back to him, you know? So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's giving me his son's sword. Uh, your son, my son brought dishonor to house Mormon, but at least he had the grace to leave the sword behind when he fled. Yeah. You know, my sister returned it to my sister, uh, returned it to my keeping, but the very sight of it reminded me of Jorah's name. So I put it aside and thought no more of it until we found it in the ashes of my bedchamber. Yep. So, I mean, so there he, he forgets about it. He forgets about the sword. Yeah. I don't even think he knew it was there. (laughs) I, does does Jorah ever talk about it having the sword? That's something we didn't look up. I was part of our research. I was I was kind of wondering. Does he ever mention long? Not that I remember. I I remember I, now. I remember in the show. In the show, he um, he does. He John tries to give it to him. Remember when they're when they go north to get the um, when they go north to get the white to take back to Cersei. John tries to give him Longclaw, and he says no. Yeah. Okay. The only mention when I type in just in a search of ice and fire, Jorah and Longclaw together is this bit right here that we're in, which is which is Jorah, right? So because I'm trying to think of would Jorah did he ever mention it in the books being a sword that he was entitled to, you know, or missing that sword or, or right. dishonoring the 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 family name, which he does talk about, but then he doesn't ever talk about returning or leaving the sword or anything like that. So that's you know um, something to watch or, or to keep track of. So, and, and John doesn't want to take the sword, right? I mean, he's, he's just a good, mm-hmm. just a good kid. He, he's just this, you know, he doesn't want to steal. This is a great line here. So, um, let's see. Ah, okay. So he had these dreams, right? That, that he would one day yep. be given, uh, you know, Eddard's sword, he would be given ice and he would declare that John had proved himself a true Stark and place ice in his hand. Uh, even then, he had known it was only a child's folly. No bastard could ever hope to wield a father's sword. Wow. Well, actually, you know, that's we have a historical. And, and see, when this is when this Evidence. is written, I think that's a line that that George highlights and says, you know what, there will be a story where where a bastard, you know, uh, ho- hopes to wield does wield his father's sword, and there is a Targaryen king who did this and found um, his his bastard air quote bastard son to be more worthy of the sword 
if you will. So, But mm-hmm. even that memory shamed him. What kind of man stole his own brother's birthright? I have no right to this, he thought, no more than to ice. Uh, he twitched his burning fingers, feeling a throb of pain under his skin. My lord, you're, you honor me, but... And this is where Mormont won't have it. He's not going to take any butts from him. He's, you know, it's yours. He, he's, like, very insistent that he will that he will have it. Uh, so, and it's, uh, yeah, it's it's just really interesting. It's, it's, I almost wonder, too, if, again, if we think that Bloodraven is sort of seeing uh, events and, and understanding what's going to happen, does, is he orchestrating in any way the discovery of this sword? And then with the Raven kind of orchestrating Jor to kind of, Give it to him because John wins this, you know, um, wins this, uh, you know, beats beats this other or whatever, saves Mormont's life. Because otherwise, according to Mormont, he would have just forgot it. It would have just been left there for it would have never, have, you know, I don't know. It just it just goes to the wayside, which is another thing that just mm-hmm. you, yeah, just a just a sword just sitting. Yeah, in it's a Valyrian steel sword. That's no joke. I mean, that, those things are are so expensive, and they're just. That's not something you cast aside lightly, even if it, it means that the your, your son dishonored you, and maybe he didn't want to think about that. Well, then send it back to Bear Isle, right? I mean, don't have it in your sight. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, then they, he goes on to talk. Well, about, and even even then, yeah. so th- then they go on to talk a little bit about right here. Uh, you fought bravely and more to the point. You thought quickly. Fire, yes, damn it. I we 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 ought to have known. We ought to have remembered. The long night has come before. Oh, 8,000 years is a good while, but to be sure. Yet, if it's the night's watch, yet if the night's watch does not remember, who will? Who will? Chimed the talkative raven. Who mm-hmm. will? Yep. Yep. He's asking that question. I mean, and, and I mean, yeah. I mean, Blood Raven will remember, right? He's going to, he's going to let everybody know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. They, uh, kind of, they talk about the, 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 the power of fire and how it, drove out what they call what they call a demonic force that had that had moved Arthur uh to kind of animate him mm-hmm. and 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 strike so um and they're remembering now to burn the dead right that's that's important as as we move forward make sure you burn them burn the corpses so yeah right um Mormont so uh, talking about um he he calls the sword a small payment for a life yeah he says take it I'll hear no more of it is that understood yes my lord um, and this is where I get into, I, I kind of mentioned that he has the thoughts about his father and really how we've already kind of discussed that. Just like it doesn't feel the thought left unbidden to his mind. Lord Eddard Stark is my father, even though this felt like a fatherly gesture in a sense. So, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So then uh, they go over the name. They 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 try to name uh, the sword and uh, it's, you know, they say that bears and uh, and and wolves have claws, and so they decide to keep the name um, Long Claw. It's been replaced with the White Wolf. All right, that's that's to kind of indicate that um, it's John's sword now, and he made it for him. And so he's gone through all of that work. It's like, all right, you're you know, got to take the sword. So, yeah, and the old bear seems pleased that uh, he decides to keep kind of the name the same. And you know, that's the part too. It's like, what is this? Why? He has a he has a whole backstory for the sword. I mean, that's the other thing that people would kind of counter, like, mm-hmm. like he's got a backstory. He's got a name, Longclaw. He seems pleased that that John wants to keep that same name uh, and doesn't rename it something different. Why 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 is that? You know, I yeah. Just, so, anyways, uh, they talk about it being the 
this is where I can't see the exact quote, but that it being a, a hand and a half, it being a bastard sword, and that you've got um, right. uh, Sir Andrew is, is is showing up, and he is, is someone who is replacing Sir Alistair Thorne, and that's Sir Andrew Tarth, so, you know, related to Brienne of Tarth, and he's a good man, yep. and he's someone who can help him, you know, master that sword. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do. I do like the line. I, I do like the line, though. As just as I think about it, the the wolves have claws as much as bears, and as much as dragons. Yeah. 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 Claw. Claw. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Now here's an interesting um, line. As a, as I was reading, I was thinking about my ravens versus crow, you know, si- situation here, and just thinking about how the connotations surrounding crows. I put a free kind of preview up on on Facebook. There's a you guys can go listen to just a quick preview of Ravens versus Crows. Um, what we believe are maybe two Green Seers. You've got the last Green Seer, and then you've got the Three Eyed Crow, and they're different people. So if you're interested in checking that out, head over to Patreon, and that's going to be a full blown thing uh, as of today. So that should be up today for you guys to listen to yep. part one. And uh, basically, one of the I was looking for lines where crows are depicted in a negative way and there's a lot of the word choice around them the connotation associated with those words is negative and it just or is dark or or what have you and there's a lot of that in this chapter and there's a lot of this in this series so uh, just a, an interesting literally one line here that that really stood out to me is when john is listening to let me read let me back up here a little bit so mormont snorted beso- um, because i sent him so he's asking why did he send Alistair Thorne away? He's like, I sent him. Um, he's bringing the hand. Your ghost tore off the end of Jay for Flower's wrist. I have commanded him to take ship to King's Landing and lay it before this boy king. That should get young Joffrey's attention, I'd think. And Sir Alistair is a knight, highborn, anointed, with old friends at court, altogether harder to ignore than a glorified crow. Crow. John thought the raven sounded faintly indignant. And it's just like, why? Why does so the the just you know mm-hmm. the raven says crow, and sounds faintly um, indignant, and and I, it, right. So it's not just it's not just the crow saying something. He's the crow says so that you know that also tells us that the crow doesn't just say something. It says something with me. Yes, and it seems to have kind of like a like it it, it its own personality. Yeah. Its own its own tone. Its own tone, and when it's when it's saying the word, yep. you know, because you could you could say crow. Or you could say crow. You could say you could say it a lot of different ways. You could say, yeah. How do you, you, yeah? How, what's the what, how do you pronounce it? Yeah. You... Like well, like what what do you emphasize? So yeah. he's the, the raven sounded faintly indignant, and it's just one of those things that like when and, and then old Nan tells us, and this is just a quick little plug again for that for that because uh, I think it's one of the best episodes we've ever done. I think it's one of the best. It is the best episode. It's the best episode. Yeah, it's like the best Patreon thing we've ever done. It's it's freaking amazing. You guys have to go check it out. Old Nan says that all crows are liars. The crow is a tricksy bird, and you know, the, and the, and we have a raven now. You know, kind of being you know, saying the word crow and saying it faintly, indignantly. So, anyways, okay, moving on, but. Uh, yeah, so so the Lord Commander kind of continues. He's ignoring the bird uh, and its its protest, and um, and he also says it puts a thousand leagues between you and him, and kind of talking about some of the issues that John and Sir, Sir Alistair Thorne had had. You mm-hmm. know, so uh, this next bit is really I don't know that you want to. It depends on how much you want to spend uh, time on this. It's it's really once he leaves the Lord Commander that his friends are. I don't really have. Yeah, a lot. his friends are just pumped. Yeah, it's right. It's 
it's it, it's it's almost like the same way it goes down in the show. I mean, where it's just all his friends come over and they're just looking at it, and it's Valyrian steel, and everyone's having, um, you know, just everyone's just having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, they're, uh, they're there's re- there's really only about one there's really only about one line in here I I found interesting. Um, you know, of course, you know, once when Winds of Winter comes back, there'll probably be like you know. A bunch of lines in here that are all super important just as there will be with every other chapter we'll have to go back and reanalyze everything mm-hmm. but uh toad says i heard of a man who had a razor made of valyrian steel he cut his head off trying to shave so i just thought that interesting oh there's like the razor mm-hmm. you know possibly the the dagger mm-hmm. you know because you know just that idea of, of valyrian steel and yeah. uh, smaller blades and if there's any connection there. Right. Yeah. Guys, put your, put your tinfoil on here for a second, because here's something I was thinking, you know how, you know, how like almost every chapter, I think it is like literally about every chapter, the phrase, um, the others pops up and it's mm-hmm. always, it's normally about just like it says right here, the others laughed and even John had to smile. So it's talking about the other boys around there, but what genius in calling these creatures, the others capital capital O and then he, he, there's other ways to say that, you know, um, right. They all laughed and even John had to smile or whatever, but he always says the others. Laugh. It just, it's funny to me because it literally pops up all the freaking time and it's nuts. The very next paragraph starts with the other white, the one handed thing that had been a ranger. So literally those two paragraphs, if you look at them, you have the others laughed and the other white. It's just, it's so nuts. Sometimes the way he writes. Mm-hmm. So, Okay. Uh, all right, yeah. So, so let's move on past that. I mean, he he's sort of uh, he, he's happy, I guess, and y- you know that they're that they're happy and he's having a good time and they're hooting and hollering. Um, but Samuel kind of notices that he's not doing well or that he's he's still kind of distant or whatever. And uh, right. well, he does have he does he does go up and he meets with Ghost first. Yeah. Okay. And I think I think there's I think there's something kind of interesting there. So, um. He has the, he's kind of they're still kind of walking around. Ghost was curled up and asleep by the side of the door, but he lifted his head as the sound of John's boot. Uh, the dire wolf's red eyes were darker than garnets and wiser than than men. John knelt, scratched his ear, and showed him the pommel of the sword. Look, it's you. Ghost sniffed at the carved stone likeness and tried a lick. John smiled. You're the one who deserves an honor, he told the wolf, and suddenly he found himself remembering how he'd found him. That day in the late summer snow, they had been riding off with the other pups, but John had heard a noise and turned back and there he was white fur, almost invisible against the drifts. He was all alone and he thought apart from the others in the litter, he was different. So they drove him out. Shame Christmas. And it's just it's just one, you know, that's again, it's how these how some of these little paragraphs are just buried because then it's, it's in the middle. So. You know, you just you're just thinking about, oh, OK, he sees ghost and then he goes and he fi- and then immediately is when John his head look up Sam. So it's it's a paragraph that you almost wouldn't even need. You would you wouldn't even you wouldn't even need this thing. It could just went he, he went over, scratched, scratched his ear and then Sam walks in. But yeah. it's here. This is a chap. This is this is what we talked about with Gurr's writing is there is he, he spent one paragraph explaining his relationship with ghost it doesn't necessarily need to be be in there you could easily just have him you could just stop with um the direwolf's red eye i mean you could even get rid of that if you wanted mm-hmm. and, and you would and the, the story would still be the same but he specifically spends the time telling us 
about John thinking back to when he found ghosts and why that's important is because he was different. Yeah. Well, and, and if you tie it into the whole blood ribbon thing and everything and that there's there's a sending, as you have said, a sending of the direwolves, getting the direwolf south of the wall or whatever, and then mm-hmm. having it come across the Stark children and then having now he has the sword and he's presenting the sword. It's all the pieces kind of, you know, coming together. It's. It, it when, Again, when you listen to the theory that we have on Patreon and it, it, you talk about the three-eyed crow working with Euron Greyjoy and having him gather artifacts and things that they need, it's like this Green Seer, the last Green Seer, is sending, them, is sending the Starks things that they will need, a wolf, a sword, you mm-hmm. know, and, and other things. So this is the beginning of that, and it's, uh, it's freaking impressive. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, he doesn't need to even say things like when he talks about... Um, he says that his his eyes were wiser than men, you know. There, there's, why, how? I mean, how is he? How? What's what? So it makes you trust Ghost, and you want to keep Ghost near. And it's he's he's a super important character. So, not according to the show, but I mean, he, he is in the books. <laughs> right. I'm just kidding. Um, okay. John. He looked up. Samwell stood, rocking nervously on his heels. Uh, Sam. John. John. John stood. What is it? Uh, do you want to see the sword? If the others had known, no doubt Sam did too. The fat boy shook his head. Um, he's actually there to kind of summon him to see Maester, Maester Eamon. Um, and he's like, I, he briefly mentions Heartsbane. Lord Randall let me hold it a few times. It always scared him. Uh, it's a beautiful sword. So we get the first mention of, of Heartsbane here. And that it will probably go to Dickon. Uh, you know, now that, now that Sam is gone. So, But Maester Eamon wants to see him. And this is where... This is the second. This is the second big part, right? To this to this chapter is the conversation that that he has here. He found Mister Amon up in the rookery feeding the ravens. Clytus was with him, carrying a bucket of chopped meat as they shuffled from cage to cage. Sam said, "You wanted me." The maester nodded. "I did indeed." And he gives Clytus, um, you know, Clytus gave John the bucket and kind of. I think he, um, yeah, he kind of he, he dismisses Clytus, if you will, and they're tossing meat into the cage. For the birds to kind of, to kind of eat. So the ravens are, are eating um, this this meat, this flesh. And one of the things that you mentioned, Sir Matt, the interesting part here is that there's, as they're they're discussing ravens, they're discussing you know that the that they eat meat. And he mentions that Lord Mormont's raven is an interesting bird. He's a rare bird who likes fruit and corn. He's different from some of these other birds, yes. right? He is, yeah. He's a different. He's different than than the other ravens. Yeah. So, why? You know, again, what like every line. Yeah, right here. Yeah, yeah. Lord Mormon. So this is when he goes to meet Maester Aemon. Lord Mormon's raven likes fruit and corn. He's a rare bird. Most ravens will eat grain, but they prefer flesh. It makes them strong, and I fear they relish the taste of blood. In that they are like men, and like men, not all ravens are alike. So we've just had a line about how ghost was different uh-huh. and now we're having a line about how ravens are different and you know a lot of people look look to this line here the that they prefer flesh that's the whole when jojen is in um the cave the yeah cave is he dead are they going to feed him to brand to make him stronger right. the whole jojen pace theory is that I mean that that that's your if you're if you're a believer in that theory that's your evidence right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. There's there's definitely so, something to that. There's a lot. There's a lot of ravens up there, uh, ready to ready to eat. You know, and the one thing too, when in this book when they depict 
like crows eating as well. They'll, they'll, they talk about them pecking and eating eyes, even though they are eating right. um, flesh and things. It's sort of like it's in a different type of way. It, there's, there's something more negative about it or whatever. Um, so, but there's also a really cool line and you read this to me before we started and I was like, Holy smokes. Oh my God. So they, they talk about doves and pigeons and how they can be trained to carry messages. Uh, though the Raven is a stronger flyer, larger, bolder, far more clever, better able to defend itself, itself against Hawks. All of those are good things. We're talking about the Raven being a better, stronger bird. And it just seems to be, uh, held in a better light. Yet ravens are black, and they eat the dead. They eat the dead. And so we think about the others right. raising the dead, and, you know, that whole thing of the association that maybe the, the ravens are, um, you know, on, on the right side of this, eating the dead. I don't know. So some godly men abhor them. Baylor the Blessed tried to replace all the ravens with doves. Uh, did you know? The maester turned his white eyes on John, smiling. The Night's Watch prefers ravens. The Night's Watch prefers ravens, even though the, even though they're called crows, right? So it's just mm-hmm. so twisted. So now another thing that Maester Eamon says here is that the, the crow is the raven's poor cousin. Uh, they are both beggars in black, hated and misunderstood. So the crow is just, it's not as good as the raven, even though they are similar. And people have mentioned like, well, they're similar. Uh, they do both eat flesh and they do... Um, kind of look the same and in, in, in things there's differences and the differences are important and they're subtle but that's this is a nod to that is that pay attention because there is a difference and it's 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 significant in this story mm-hmm. so yeah okay yeah and so then talk about the night's watch uh like it and then this is where they start talking about um then they kind of switch the subject here uh, John wished he understood what they were talking about and why. Uh, why did he care about ravens and doves? John, did you ever wonder why the men of the Night's Watch take no wives and father no children? Uh, and he basically says, so they will not love, the old man answered. For love is the bane of honor, the death of duty. Uh, then uh, the old man seemed to sense his doubts. Um, tell me, John, if the day should ever come when your Lord Father must need choose between honor on one hand and those he loves on the other, what should he do? And that's a tie into how Lord Eddard ultimately dies. But I think that there's something interesting here, too. Um, he says, John thinks he fathered a bastard. Where was the honor in that? And your mother, what of his duty to her? He will not even say her name. He, he would do whatever was right, he said, ringingly, uh, to make up his hesitation no matter what. A few more lines down. Uh, we are only human, and the gods have fashioned us for love. That is our great glory and our great tragedy. Mm. Uh, then they go on to talk about Black Heron, right, and how mm-hmm. he was somebody, how they, how they, they he had to sit by and, and wait. They kept their pledge. When Aegon slew back Black Heron and claimed his kingdom, Heron's brother was Lord Commander on the Wall. With 10,000 swords to hand, he did not march. In the days when the Seven Kingdoms were seven kingdoms, not a generation passed that three or four of them were at war. The Watch took no part. When the Andals crossed the Narrow Sea and swept away the kingdoms of the First Men, the sons of the Fallen Kings held true to their vows and remained at their posts. So it has always been, for years beyond counting, such is the price of honor." A craven can be as brave as any man when there is nothing to fear, and we all do our duty when there is no cost to it. How easy it seems then to walk the path of honor. 
You soon or yet soon or late in every man's life come a day when it is not easy, a day when he must choose. And that is something that I think they were trying to show in the in the TV show in yeah. the show that 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 John's decision to kill Danny was so difficult because he does love yep. her. Yes. He's conflicted for a lot of reasons because you know, you have Sam telling him, you know, she's she's wrong. You have Tyrion, you have Sansa, you have everyone telling him he's wrong, but he does love mm-hmm. her. And they just obviously didn't the execution wasn't as as great not on the actors just because of the they the the final season so short and they uh, just couldn't cram everything in that they well they they whatever they may have chosen not sure. to yeah we'll, we'll go with that we'll go with that but um you know if it does go down the same way in the books i mean this is a line you can refer to this is this right here it it's not easy and he has to choose about loving her and possibly honor protecting the realm mm-hmm. which is the right thing you know which is ultimately the the right thing to do and i think that's what they were trying to show in, in in the TV show that that decision of killing Danny and why it was so difficult for John, but you know if so in the event if you're somebody who hated the final season and you just hate the story something I've talked about it don't it's not necessarily the story it's the way it's told to yeah. us is I mean here's here's some context which immediately to me makes that the way that that decision a little bit better yeah it does. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. It's um, yeah. This this it's the, it's all about choices, the choice that you make and and things. And it's like he he's gonna have mul- in the book. What's cool too is he has multiple times where he has to make these choices. From this conversation moving forward, he gets hit with a big decision here, um, real soon. And then he's gonna have more as he journeys beyond the wall and back again. And I think I think what we should ask ourselves when we talk and we, when we when we look at Jon Snow is is he doing what's right because he he mentions that his father Eddard um, does what's right and he says that he would be one in a th- you know one in a thousand or one, or one in ten thousand. Mister Eamon is 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 impressed by that and really um, he he is trying to do what's right. He is not giving up his mother's name because it would it could mean you know death if if you tie that back to who she was with and all this sort of stuff. So it's it's a hard choice to make, and that's that's the choice that he's making. Mm-hmm. You know, one more thing I have to mention, um, being, I, I love the idea that the Night's Watch is watchful. They are ever watchful, and they've been watching for years. And the longer they watch, the more they get mocked in the Seven Kingdoms. And it's like, man, but at once upon a time, they're during when the Seven Kingdoms were Seven Kingdoms. Uh, I love this line, that not a generation passed where three or four men were not at war. Uh, we're not three or were three or four of the kingdoms were not at war, and they were they were they had sons on the wall who back in that time it wasn't because of a crime necessarily. You went there because it was a great honor, and you served the realm as a whole. And I just think that's so cool. It's something again that kind of slides by that you're like, wow, that's this is this is a big deal, and we are really watching for something. There is a reason for John to keep his vows and to stay here and to be a part of this honored kind of. Um, Group, it could be one of the most is laughed at now and scoffed at at here, but it's one of the greatest. You we always think of the Kingsguard being this epic, super, you know, cool group, but it's like the Night's Watch were once that group. They are the the order that protects the realms of men. So I just think it's a a great reminder. So because I'm obsessed with the Night's Watch. Okay, I think it's great too. 
Um, okay, so then it, it basically ends with us finding out who Maester Aemon is. Because yeah. John's like, you don't know. No one knows. Even if I am his bastard, he's still my father. Maester Aemon sighed. Have you heard nothing? I've told you, John. Do you think that you are the first? Three times the god saw fit to test my vows, once when I was a boy, once in the fullness of my manhood, and once when I was grown old. But then my strength was fled, my eyes grown grown dim, yet that last choice was as cruel as the first. Ravens would bring news from the south, words darker than their wings. There's mm-hmm. another uh, tie into the ravens. The ruin of my house, the death of my kin, disgrace and uh, desolation. What could I have done? Old, blind, frail. I was helpless. Uh, yet it still grieved me to sit forgotten as they cut down my brother's poor grandson and his son and even the little children. John was shocked to see with the shine of tears in the old man's eyes. Who are you? Um, a toothless smile quivered on the ancient lips. Only a maester in the Citadel bound to the service of Castle Black and the Night's Watch. Uh, in my order, we put aside our house names when we don uh, the collar. The old man touches Maester Chain. My father was Makar, the first of his name. My brother Aegon reigned in, in after him in my stead. My grandfather named me for Prince Aemon after Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight. Aemon Targaryen, John could scarcely believe. Once. Once, so you see, John, I do know. And knowing I will tell you to stay or go, you must make a choice yourself, uh, as I have. As I have. Yeah. Yeah, so it's 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 uh, he's made the choice. Clearly, he made the choice to stay, and but he's not going to tell him what to do. But it's a choice you will have to face, and it's something. It's I think it's you think of Maester Aemon, and later on his his journey when he heads back to the Citadel. There's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of different things that happen. You know, they can move maesters around, and one of the things though, when you become a maester at the Night's Watch, it's sort of like we talked earlier about why he went up there. He went up there during the time of of, of Blood Raven. There was a reason. There was a reason that he came uh, to the Wall. The Targaryens are still in power. Why does he stay there? And that's been talked about a lot. Like he could have maybe he could have been replaced. But then you get into the issue of of him taking his his vows and being a member of the Night's Watch. So it's almost a little bit different than just being like the Grand Maester at King's Landing or. Uh, being a maester at one of the other keeps, he is he is a part of the Night's Watch, which is something else. But um, Marwyn the Mage later on will will talk about why do you think they that these these fools in the Citadel have let him just waste up there and they don't communicate with him and they don't they they want to forget him. They want to move past the age of magic and and Targaryens and dragons. They don't they're, they're into science and they're trying to weed all of that out. So that's that's a really cool piece about learning that Amon that it's that it's Amon Targaryen and it's just it's so cool to to think the things that he went through and the and the trials and stuff and it's he does know as he says to John he knows what it's like to stay up here like the other men that he had mentioned who they made a vow they swore to protect uh the realms of men here and to do their duty at the wall and and to keep watch so whoo goodness do you think he? Do you think he knows who John it really is? Yes, I is? do. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, I do. I don't know that he. I think there's a plan. You know, you don't travel north with Blood Raven and not know. I mean, I, maybe it had been forgotten, but it's one of those things that I can I could kind of see something where, where Blood Raven had said to him long ago, had talked about the prophecy, the prince who was promised, and things like that. And he, he later in his life, you know, maybe he misinterprets it. Maybe he. He knows that someone like John will come, but he maybe doesn't know that it's John. That that could be the case because when he's on his way to the Citadel, 
he talks about the misinterpretation of that. We talked about this when we were younger, he says, and we talked about the prince, but maybe it was the princess. And he, he thinks like, I, I wish I were younger. You know, he's almost like he's back in that position where he now has a chance. I, I almost think that Eamon, like he knows, like he made his choice. He made his choice to stay and he made it three times over. The gods tested him three times. But I think now he's kind of like, I would, you know, given another, given a fourth chance to go help Daenerys. I thought my family was lost. I thought we were eradicated. I think he would go. I think he would, if he were younger and he could forsake some of his vows there at the Citadel, um, that he would, he would go and, um, you know, help her out is, is really what I think. So Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah. So, old Mister Eamon, just wise, so wise. So there you go, friends. Uh, it's it's uh, it's an important chapter. I mean, it's it's one that I think a lot of people will read and be like, ah, cool. He's given the sword, long claw. We learn about Maester Eamon being a Targaryen and and all this stuff. But there's there's things in there where it's not just Maester Eamon. If you look at it again, it's Blood Ravens there. He's there through right. uh, Mormont's Raven and. Blackfire, a connection to history, could be there as well. And all these cool things could be laying right there in that chapter. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, um, I think that's about it for this week. So, Sergio, do we have anything else in closing here? Oh, yeah. We four, we four went to Raven this week because we, we uh, did. We did. did two, yeah. And I yeah. just want to, so I have a couple um, teasers for, so when we go to Man the Wall here, um, I just want to go ahead and you know, I'll insert a couple uh, teasers for folks to listen to just of the uh, Patreon episodes that we have going on because I think some yes. folks kind of wonder what those are like. So we, we queued up a couple like uh, the first one's about three minutes. The second one's about one to two. And um, I'll just go ahead and play those for you guys right now and take a listen. A great point here, though, you know, we're wondering about what the last green seer, what um, blood raven, how would that person appear in dreams would it be a three-eyed crow or not? And so we're trying to figure out, okay, well, why doesn't he appear as a dragon? Why doesn't he appear as a, as, as, as a werewood? Well, maybe he does appear as a werewood. Melisandre actually, when she looks into her fires, into her flames, she sees, quote, a wooden face, corpse white. Was this the enemy? A thousand red eyes floating in the rising flame. Uh, he sees me. Beside him, a boy with a wolf's face threw back his head and howled. So she sees, she sees a wooden face and corpse white. That's what she sees when she's looking at um, what I believe is, is Bloodraven. So if, if Bloodraven isn't the three-eyed crow, but Bloodraven has been trying to reach Bran in dreams multiple times, then Bran should have dreamed of a werewood tree multiple times. I dream of a tree sometimes, a werewood, like the one in the godswood. It calls to me. The wolf dreams are better. So he's, he's having a lot of different dreams. He has wolf dreams. He's got a, a dream where a tree, a werewood tree, is calling out to him. And he's got a dream that's really, it's haunting him. So we've got dreams about werewoods. We have a, a dream about a, a three-eyed crow. So do we have a dream where the three-eyed crow and the last green seer are there together? And it just so happens that we do. This is something I brought up in our one of our Patreon episodes, and I was on the I was right on the tip of of getting to this to this point in that episode, but we cut off, and I told everybody I would come back to it. Um, so he does have a dream, and this is again in, um, in in a Clash of Kings. So on this night, he dreamed of the Weirwood. 
It was looking at him with its deep red eyes, calling to him with its twisted wooden mouth. And from its pale branches, the three-eyed crow came flapping, pecking at his face and crying his name in a voice as sharp as swords. Now, the only thing I can, what I see there, if you start to kind of buy, this is the quote. This is, this is, this is stop everything. If you weren't really paying attention before, this is it. If you buy into the idea that the last green seer, Brendan Rivers, Blood Raven, is separate from the three-eyed crow, then right here is where you would want to prove that. The werewood represents the last green seer. And it was looking at him with deep red eyes again. There's that connection to, uh, to, to, to Brendan Rivers. And it's calling to him with its twisted wooden mouth. So it's actually calling. It's actually speaking. It's, it's a living thing. It has, it's animated and it's reaching out. But then from its pale branches, the three-eyed crow gets in the way and it pecks at his face. It's crying his name, mm-hmm. a voice as sharp as swords, almost like it's distracting him from the, uh, you know, from the werewood. And, and it make you go back to the idea that the nightmares seem to have more effect on a child than the werewood dreams. I can tell your mind is just spinning right now and you're writing notes down about what the possibilities are with John Connington and, and moving forward and, and all that stuff and, and Ariana Martel and coming up to, to meet him, the pack between Dorn and all that stuff. You know what this what this this is this is also starting to make me think on the uh if the ending is exactly the same and John does have to go north of the wall, yeah. what if Val's there? Right. The John Danny relationship might not happen. I'm really starting to think it's it's when would it's they meet? When would be their first meeting? Sir Ezra, you and I have talked about the Battle of the Bastards and how it may not ever even take place in the books. Absolutely. Because yep. I'm start you and I have talked I think Stannis is going to win. Absolutely. Well, I, I just, just want to blow your mind real quick. So in the show she says that like she knows Ramsey so well, right? She's talking about how well she knows right. him and that John should. Hell no, that's not happening. I mean, that's that doesn't happen. That's not gonna right. unless something like you said changes. Then that's not the case. Now, would it, do you see a position where Jane Poole, who is like super scared and running around nervous and has mm-hmm. been all that stuff, right. and and Reek has saved her? I think right. Reek is more likely. I think your or um Theon is more likely to come back and give counsel to Stannis. So. Okay, I, 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 I may have just figured it out. All right. Oh, boy. Okay. Okay, so let's say Stannis defeats Ramsay and okay. just kind of takes Winterfell, right? Yeah. So isn't Mance Raider supposedly at Winterfell? And so there you go. You know, we've got some it's, – it's pretty cool content. I mean, we had a blast, right? You know, Sir Matt, we had a – Oh, my God. Gosh. Well, it, you yeah. know, the, the funny thing was we were, we were we were just about at the end uh, when we uh, part one was just going to be the episode. Right. Well, right. Let's, let's go back. It's something that started in Raven's Nest, which will be coming out uh, later this this week. Yeah. And it was it was an idea that came up that um, it was uh, one of our, our longtime listeners, you know, Maglum brought up. And I was like and I kind of just saw a piece of it and then I it clicked in my head and I was like, Oh, rabbit hole. Yeah. And then that rabbit hole, we, you and I were doing a theory on something else. We were doing it on the, the first part there, the uh, Ravens and the crows. Yep. 
And right at about the about the end of that, about the the one hour mark, as we were we were kind of closing up, I I can't even remember exactly what it is you said that you said, but it was we started talking about the books and the show, yeah. and then I was like, well, I, hold on a second here, and then I said, and then I, I brought up something else, and then that turned into an entire another hour that normally is stuff we would talk about off the air, like we would just click off and be like okay well like all right so we, fin- we finished that thought like now let's like you know we just talk yeah naturally about 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 the show and the books and what do you think and and stuff like that and we said let's just like hit keep recording and then mm-hmm. this will be a little like not not less informal because it ended up being one of the best discussions if not the best discussion we've ever had yeah and so we just luckily we just kept recording and we just turned that into an a second part of the of the episode so yeah and it, what, what i think is cool is that from there we have started a, a new doc where we're basically piecing together our yeah. roadmap yeah like we're looking at the show now you you said this you're like it's almost more fun having the pieces in the show and saying okay um how would you know john connington and lady stoneheart and these other characters fit in where is ariana martell going to show up and and, and all of that kind of stuff yeah because so. when we when you do it the other way around, like when we you know when you when you watch a when a movie comes out or something that is you know that's based on a book, and you're like thinking, okay, what are they going to keep? What are they going to cut out? Right. Because there's obviously a lot to cut out. Well, now it's possible that we have a handful of points that we know the story's going to get to. But we're so it's so much bigger that it's like, how are we ever going to hit these points? Right, exactly. Because you have to you have to go the opposite. What I mean, you still have to cut down and trim down. But you know, we we just talked about things. I mean, just you know, we talked a little bit. Another another kind of teaser for it is we talked about so for John to have to kill Daenerys and Bran to sit the throne, and um, you know, I, I, a big part of it was the Ramsey Bolton stuff. How does the battle of bastards even happen in the books? Because Sansa is nowhere close to where she was in the show at this point in the books. So we've got to somehow get her from here to here because, you know, there's an entire different character filling her role that happened in the show than there is in the books. So, you know, how are we going to get there? And we, that's some of the stuff we started talking about last night. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's just it was so much fun, and so we're hoping to do more of those and maybe make that roadmap, you know, to the end of the book series kind of a thing. It's it, it really is green dreams is, mm-hmm. is what it is, but um, more specifically, we're working on that master doc and might take it piece by piece, uh, character by character, and it fill, and follow their arc and get them from where they're at in a Dance of Dragons and a Feast for Crows to to the end of the series. So, right, and and one of the things, one, another one of the things we looked at is. It's not it's not simply as as simple as saying, okay, well, you just do this. You just take this character and you slide them into here and then it fixes every and then it. okay, and then we're set. No, (laughs) you move you move this character to this point and you are going to have to find a way to shift all of these other characters to have it make sense to be able to hit these points that we're going to hit via what the show told us. Yeah, exactly. So you're kind of uh, when when you go about it, and you guys, when you listen to it, you'll understand. It's sort of like you have to. We're going based off of like, all right, here are some of the pillars of the show that we don't think are unchangeable, and these are big moments that we've heard are are going to be kind of the same in the books. But 
we have so many other different characters that that need to get to the same spots and you know help each other get here and right. what have you. So it's it's really cool. It's it's fun. I didn't think it would be that fun, but it's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. One into, of them. Yeah, one. I mean, the the character that started it all, and I posted about this on on Instagram earlier, was John Connington, and we uh, you know just not to go into the whole thing because we just did an hour on it last night, but mm-hmm. um, you know in in the books he's the one with grayscale yep and if he has grayscale and in the show we see jorah mormont being healed by sam with grayscale well does that mean that john connington's going to be healed by sam mm-hmm. because there's no jorah mormont's nowhere close and if john connington gets healed what happens with young griff yep. does he live does he does he die why How is he are sent we there? Get yeah. there and then Right, and then what information is Sam going to learn? Is that going to be different? So that's all the things that we start to talk about. Okay, well, if you move these piece here, then this piece has to go here. And so, yeah, yeah so um, anyway, it was a ton of fun, and we hope you guys really check it out. Yeah, yep, absolutely. So fantastic stuff, and uh, yeah, looking forward to, to more of that. So, all right, my friend, well, I think it is now officially time to say farewell. Um, thanks for sticking around, everybody. It's been a, a for us, it's been fun. It's been a, it's been a good episode, and we like absolutely doing these deep, these deeper dives and, and stuff. We're trying to make each each chapter really significant and, and pull out um, what's given to us by George, and we can we're going to continue to do that uh, to finish out Game of Thrones and looking to turn the corner into the next book. So. Mm-hmm. Well, we want to thank you for playing the Game of Thrones. In our next episode, we'll be discussing Chapter sixty one. Daenerys 7. If you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, leave a comment, or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com. We will see you in a week, and remember that winter